Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 316 of the podcast for August 29th, 2018. Today's episode is the second time that my friend and previous podcast guest, Jamie Flinchbaugh, has turned the tables by playing host to interview me about my new book, Measures of Success, React Less, Lead Better, Improve More. And this book has recently been the number one best-selling book in Amazon's total quality management category. And I know that that's it might be surprising that that's still a category, even though it seems like a bit of an outdated term uh, for books, books in that category about Lean, Six Sigma, continuous improvement, things like that, including my book. Um, Jamie is very knowledgeable on these topics, so I think he was a great person to interview me and actually to have more of a conversation about things like choosing the right metrics and then managing them um, the right way, or maybe uh, a better way, as I propose in the book. I hope you enjoy the conversation, and future podcasts will return to the usual format where I interview guests and try to let them do most of the talking. So some of those upcoming guests include Patricia Morrill. She is author of a book uh, called The Perils of Uncoordinated Healthcare. I'll also be interviewing Marcus Hammerberg from Sweden. He's written a really interesting book. He has uh, such a unique story here. It's called Salvation, the Bungsu Story, How Lean and Kanban Saved a Small Hospital in Indonesia Twice and Can Help You Reshape Work in Your Company. And also I'll be interviewing Karen Martin about her latest book, Clarity First, and we'll have some discussion about some of the conceptual overlap um, between her book and mine. So I um, encourage you to go check those books out. You can find them on Amazon. You can uh, find my book there. It's currently just a Kindle ebook. It's also available in Apple Books and a platform called LeanPub. Um, I'm currently working on the paperback, and that'll be available later this year. So if you want to find links to all of this, you can go to leanblog.org slash 316. Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We have a guest host, which is me, Jamie Flinchball. Um, I am your guest host. And the reason for that is that our our guest today is the regular host, Mark Raven. Um, and he's here to talk about his new book uh, that's just out. Um, so Mark, I wanna just talk about the idea of the book. You've been really known for writing about lean in healthcare for several books and, and certainly a lot of the content on, on the blog. So what, what inspired you to write this particular book? Yeah, well, thanks. Thanks, Jamie. And thank you for playing guest host uh, again here as we, as we uh, did once, I think just once before. But uh, yeah, but you know the story. I think you know the the book was something a long time in the works. And, and just to give a little bit of the background, you know, I started my career. A lot of listeners might know in the auto industry. And when I was at General Motors in 1995, in the shop floor at GM, they had control charts, you know, statistical process control charts. These are methods that date back. Um, well into the, you know, the early 20th century. And, you know, so statistical control, SPC charts have traditionally been used to measure and, and help manage quality 
of manufactured processes. And you know, then GM was starting with you know, kind of a, a lean journey and, and my career has really been um, focused on lean. But you know, with my roots in industrial engineering, I got exposed to SPC in college. Um, in that time when I was working at General Motors, I was fortunate that my dad, who worked as an engineer at GM for 40 years before retiring, um, had a couple of books on his shelf that had piqued my interest. One was uh, the book Out of the Crisis by W. Edwards Deming. And the second book was called Understanding Variation, The Key to Managing Chaos by uh, Donald Wheeler. And Wheeler was um, uh, you know, a student of, of Deming's and uh, you know, Deming was an advocate for um, statistical process control, um, learning how to understand and manage variation, which is, you know, the theme that Dr. Wheeler teaches so well in his book. So I was, I was fortunate to be exposed to some of these concepts really early in my career that are very, very helpful for managing a process, managing improvement. And, you know, throughout my career, I've always been, uh, I've always noticed that these methods seem to generally not be part of uh, lean management practices, even though Toyota uses SPC charts. It seems like there's just sort of this uh, gap or hole in, in practice, uh, especially in healthcare. And so, you know, seeing some of the dysfunctions that come from the way people generally track and manage metrics over time, you know, I've been trying to teach these concepts uh, in different formats uh, in, in healthcare with workshops. Um, I've been teaching a workshop a lot the last two years, and, and I thought a book would be another helpful way to try to get some of these concepts in front of people. Excellent. So the, you know, the idea of where this fits, the fact that you, you see many people in the lean world not really appreciating the role of SPC charts. I, I remember back in the beginnings of our Chrysler operating system, 25 years ago that it was one of our four fundamentals that we, we, we listed. Um, but, but variation as a topic doesn't get as much attention in the lean community as the word waste. So maybe could you help us understand where does variation fit in into this, this uh, universe of lean thinking? Yeah. I mean, that's, I, I, I agree with you on that. And, and I think, you know, we can, frame variation maybe in terms of variation in the work and the variation in results. You know, I, I, th I think you'd agree with me here. Some listeners might not agree, but I'll say it anyway. You know, the, the lean Six Sigma construct that often gets thrown around is you'll hear people say lean is about reducing waste. Six Sigma is about reducing variation. Right. Like, well, Six Sigma does focus a lot on reducing variation. Some people might consider uh, statistical process control to be a Six Sigma tool, even though, again, it predates even the TQM days when, six, uh, when SPC was a big part of um, TQM. So, I, you know, I think lean, if we look and say, well, I think we realized if the right process brings the right results, even in my background, which is almost completely lean as opposed to Six Sigma, I've been taught that standardized work is one way we try to reduce variation in how the work is done to then reduce variation in our results. So I think that's one aspect of lean. 
that that contributes to reducing variation and more importantly, improving results. But if we look at variation in metrics, and that this is a, you know, a big theme of, uh, of my book, Measures of Success. If we're looking at a chart, whether it's on the shop floor in a nursing unit in the executive suite, one lesson you know, that Dr. Wheeler teaches so clearly is that there is variation in every metric. I think the question is, well, how much variation is typical or routine? And SPC charts, or you know, in my book, I've adopted Wheeler's terms, uh, process behavior charts. A process behavior chart helps us understand you know, from a baseline of data, here's the range in which our metric is varying or fluctuating. The same process, even if it's a very, very consistent process, won't always generate identical results. So there's variation in results due to many, many different factors in, in our system. And process behavior charts help us filter out all of the noise in that metric so that we're not reacting to every single up and down in a chart. We can use the, the, the basic math and uh, principles of process behavior charts to see when there's been a meaningful change in our system. So part of you know, the, going to the subtitle of the book, react less, lead better, improve more. If we react less, we don't react equally to every up and down in a chart. That allows us to focus our attention and allows us to focus our improvement efforts, which allows us to improve more. And, and there's, you know, there's a different leadership style here that's, that's not just knee-jerk reactive. I mean, it's easy. Anybody can say, well, that number's worse than the target. That number's worse than last week. You know, react, explain, give me a root cause. Well, you know, there is no, no root cause for that routine variation. There is no root cause for noise in uh, a system. But the rules of process behavior charts that help us detect signals, that's a statistically valid signal that says something has changed, whether that's good or bad, whether we're confirming the effect of an intentional change that we made or we're discovering oh, wow, something changed, we better figure out what that is. Those are some of the ways that these charts and this methodology can be helpful. That's great. That's a, that's a pretty good summary of the, uh, the heart of the book. Um, so, so with that explanation in mind, um, do you see this more as a management book or is there just as much in there for the individual contributors in an organization? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've definitely tried to write it as uh, uh, a management book that gives some simple statistical methods that help us manage better, as opposed to, you know, uh, you know a statistical, it's not a statistics textbook. Um, so, you know, I'm hoping the book is helpful to leaders at different levels. You know, executives looking at their charts uh, on their strategy deployment wall. Uh, I think it can be helpful for uh, middle managers, frontline managers who have their metrics that they're tracking at the front line and, and to help better focus and connect their improvement work to the results, looking at cause and effect relationships between what we're doing differently or what we're not doing differently and the impact on our results. And then you know, I think there's also an audience there in terms of you know, sort of the continuous improvement specialists 
um, the, the lean people, the Kaizen people, the Six Sigma people. Uh, if, you know, they're, they're, I talk about in the book, um, you know, there are a lot of cases where there's some, I, I think, you know, faulty statistical analysis that, that looks at one data point and says, oh, that data point's higher, therefore our project was a success and we can prove that we've improved when they, they might be you know, declaring victory too soon. It might be a data point that falls into that range of noise or routine variation. So I think a lot of it's unintentional. Nobody's trying to you know, lie with statistics, but you know, I think there are um, you know, some methods that, that, that you know, people haven't been exposed to that would be um, you know, more, more valid ways of proving that we've made a significant and sustained shift in our metric. Um, but, you know, coming at it from one other direction, you know, when, when I've been teaching workshops on, on these methods um, the last few years, I've had a couple Six Sigma Master Black Belts take my class, which uh, it's a little intimidating. They probably know a lot of the deep, hardcore statistics uh, better than I do. And the process behavior charts are, uh, you know, considered, you know, Wheeler uses the phrase, it's the Swiss army knife of different types of control charts, that it's really robust and can be used for all sorts of different metrics. And, 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 and it works really well in real world circumstances where Six Sigma Monster Black Belt might have, you know, eight different types of you know, variations of control chart in their arsenal. And the Master Black Belts have all said, you know, they, they've appreciated that the methods that I share in my book here are less confusing to leaders that, you know, we're not nitpicking about all these different types of control chart. We basically have a method that helps us understand the variation in our process to help us prove if we've improved, um, that, that this is from a practitioner standpoint, um, really effective stuff. So I, you know, I've been happy to get that feedback, um, that, master black belts could, could go back. And I think what matters is what's effective. You know, like what are people willing to adopt um, in an organization? And you know, these methods um, I, th I think are really useful, really practical. That's great. So you, 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 know, you kind of frame the, the management challenges in this and that the book isn't really, a, this is not about a statistics 101 book, right? There's, there's lots of other places you can learn that. Mm -hmm. But you know, for myself, I, I feel pretty blessed. I took statistics in, in high school at Lehigh, at Michigan, MIT, uh, again at Chrysler. I mean, I, 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 got a, I got a lot of that over the years. And so I have a, a base root skill that I understand how this stuff works. Mm -hmm. If someone doesn't have that background, if this is new to them, is, is this going to be hard? Or, or, or how do we make it easier for someone that doesn't have that basic understanding of how this works? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a good question. Um, you know, in, in the book, uh, I, you know, I focus a lot on the methods for interpreting process behavior charts. How do we identify signals? How do we identify shifts in our metric? And it really comes down to just three rules that we can keep in our mind as we're looking at a chart. Um, those rules are, and, and you know, in a podcast format like this, it's hard to, uh, you know, I'm trying to describe what are very visual rules. You know, we're looking at a, a chart. We've calculated uh, 
we have we we, we calculate an average. We calculate what what are called basically lower and upper limits um, that that tell us here's the range in which we expect this process this metric to fluctuate over time. And if we see any data point outside of those limits, you know this methodology tells the user of the chart, that's unlikely to be randomly occurring. It's very, very, very likely, like 99% likely, that there's been some change to the system. And you know, so that rule is easy to see on a chart. And that is an opportunity then to go and react and, and do some root cause analysis if needed. The second rule is looking for eight consecutive data points that are on the same side as our average. So typically a process is fluctuating, a, or the, the, the metric is fluctuating around an average. Might not be exactly 50% above average and 50% below, but it's fluctuating. The second rule is also, you know, it's very statistically unlikely that that would be randomly occurring. So you know, if we see those eight data points on the same side of the average, that suggests that the process and the, our results have shifted either in a good direction or a bad direction. And then there's a third rule that, that looks for um, you know, sort of a clustering of data points that are closer to the upper or lower limits in that range. So those three rules um, as a user or consumer of process behavior charts, I think are pretty straightforward. And then the, the math for calculating an average, the math for calculating a lower and upper limit is arithmetic. It's not calculus. Um, there's no Greek letters involved necessarily. It's something that can be done uh, in a pretty basic spreadsheet. It could be done by hand with paper and pencil if need be. Use the calculator on your iPhone. Um, but uh, you know, I, I think that's that's part of the beauty of the methodology. Um, I think the biggest barrier again is that people haven't been introduced to these concepts. I think when people do get introduced to it, they say, okay, well, that, that's not that hard. But now, you know, we have the change management challenges of how do you get leaders or an organization to step back and say, well, the way we've been tracking metrics on a computer screen or on a bulletin board has maybe not been um, state-of-the-art statistical method. Like a lot of times people just really stay latched on to, well, this is how I was taught to do it. So, you know, like you said, Jamie, you know, I was fortunate that here is, you know, I, I was taught to do it this certain way. I got exposed to these ideas uh, from Deming and Wheeler very, very early in my career. I had far less to unlearn, but I certainly, I, I, it, it's a huge challenge to try to get somebody to look back and say, well, this is how I've been doing metrics for 20 years. This is how I was taught. That must be good. That, that, that's challenging, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and that, so, so there's really two sides of the coin here. One is the how to properly react once you have the metrics in place to, to, to drive an understanding of what's going on with variation. The other is when not to react or overreact. And that, that part almost seems harder than the how to react part. So whether it's, you know, whether your kid brings home a bad report card or you have a a, a quarterly miss on your financials or you, you have a really upset customer, you have these, these one-offs that feel like you're compelled to act. Right. Um, and you, what you're really saying is don't, don't necessarily react just to single data points, mm -hmm. 
that sounds very difficult. So what's your, what's your advice on that side of the coin? Yeah. So what well, and, 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 and this is something where like, you know, over the last five years when I've really you know, started making more effort to try to teach these methods in different formats. Um, you know, I've given, you know, some, you know, short talks at some conferences and I think the way I was explaining the idea of don't overreact to any single data point was leaving the impression I could tell from the questions I was getting at the end of like, so you're saying if it's just noise, then there's nothing we can do about it. And I realized I was, I was accidentally leaving that impression. And so I, you know, I've tried to, to kind of frame it, frame it differently. If we're not reacting to a single data point, like we're, we're not wasting time asking for a root cause for a, a right, relatively small change in a metric. But if we're looking at uh, our average performance for a metric, if we're looking at the range of our lower and upper limit that are you know, calculated um, from the voice of the process, we, we might have a process that's, um, I see this a lot, where people set a goal that's suspiciously close to last year's average performance. Right. And the old rule of thumb might have been was, well, you need to react every time the metric is worse than the target. And so now you, you draw a process behavior chart and you see the metrics fluctuating around the average. It's a predictable process that's likely to continue fluctuating around that average and within those limits. And uh, I'd look and say, well, if this process is not meeting our target our customer need, however that target is set, half the time. We certainly need to improve the process or improve the underlying system. And this is where, you know, I think in the book, um, you know, I try to connect, you know, up to, to less reactive, more systematic methods of improvement. Like, you know, listeners here would recognize, you know, A3 problem solving. They might recognize the language, you know, that Toyota uses of having a gap you know, uh, we, we can close that gap by understanding um, our current state, our current process. We're going to propose some changes to that system that we think will boost the average performance of that system. So, like, you know, there, there's terminology that, you know, has been made more popular in, in lean healthcare circles when we talk about, uh, in the context of lean management systems, driver metrics, and watch metrics. I don't. Did you do you hear that terminology in other settings? Um, not not a lot, but I, I think it's pretty self-explanatory. Those terms, though. Yeah. So you know, a driver is a metric where it's not meeting the target, and so you need to drive improvement through A threes. Um, and then a watch metric is something that is meeting performance goals, and we're just watching to see if it degrades. And where I think people get tripped up is it, with a driver, they might be reacting to uh, you know, every single data point that fluctuates just a little bit below the target. And then they demand, well, you need to find a root cause and that root cause might not be there. And then they up, end up wasting a lot of time. And then the metric fluctuates back into the green range for no reason other than it just fluctuates. And so I think, you know, using the, the three rules of process behavior charts are a better indication of when something has changed. But if we have a chart that's, you know, a metric that's not 
consistently in that good performance range, we're still going to drive systematic improvement instead of reactive improvement. And then, you know, the, the other thing I would say about the watch metric is, you know, the, the best situation, if I, and this is easier to visualize than to um, say verbally, but if we have a, a metric where uh, up is good and the lower limit of our process behavior chart is better than the target, I can feel really confident that that predictable system is going to continue to, to always exceed our target. Where process behavior charts help is that we can look for these signals that the system is degrading and react before performance dips below the target. And so, you know, the way I, I see a lot of people articulating rules of thumb is that, well, you know, watch the metric, watch that metric until it's no longer better than the target. And, and that, that might be kind of a late, slow reaction compared to using the process behavior rules that tell us, well, the system is degraded. It's still better than the target, but we need to react so we can put kind of put things back to where they were. Does that? Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of this comes down to problem statements where, uh, you know, uh, shift the mean problem statements different than a variation reduction problem statement mm -hmm. is different than a trend problem statement. So, mm -hmm. uh, so that, it, it's, it's, I guess it's not about not reacting, it's about how to react. Yeah, and I, and I think knowing like when to ask for a root cause for that day, that week, that month, as opposed to stepping back and saying, um, you know, we need to improve the underlying system. I, those, those are different reactions. Yep, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about metric design, right? So one is once you have the metric, but I often find people discount the metrics they have because they know they don't tell the true story. So they see the metric and then they say, oh, well, you know, that doesn't really mean anything because the weather was bad or was, there weren't enough days in the month or, you know, whatever the reason is that was a perfectly good explanation to not ask any more questions. Um, hmm. And so, you know, is that because, you know, we, we just don't know how to design good metrics or have we not really figured out that we should be designing the metrics? Are we just taking the metrics that sort of naturally come out of the system and measuring them, assuming that they're the most useful things? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. And, you know, there are um, really good books out there, you know, if we're looking in the context of strategy deployment, of asking, you know, what should we measure? Can we have a balanced scorecard? I mean, there's a book going back in time, The Balanced Scorecard. Um, you know, what, what really, what measures are not just easy to measure, but what measures indicate the, the health of our organization or our department? I think those are really, really important questions and my book admittedly doesn't get into that real deeply. Um, but I think you know, there's an element of what I hear in, in the scenario you pose, Jamie, where um, there's sort of like this defensiveness of like um, when we see a change in the metric, people sort of make excuses, they tell a story. And I think, you know, they're, they're, it, a lot of organizations have this fear associated with a metric, um, the metric has changed, people are afraid. It's not hitting the target, people are afraid. So, you know, one thing I, I, I do touch on in the book is, you know, when, when, when there's fear 
and when people are you know kind of put under pressure to hit the target no matter what people often end up distorting the system or distorting the metric instead of improving the system i don't, I don't know if, if if that's what you were alluding to or what, what i mean i'd be curious to hear some of your thoughts on that topic yeah i mean certainly i i think i think that's part part of it is the reaction itself um and part of it as if you go back to say tom johnson's work of profit beyond me beyond measure mm-hmm. um of how to design a metric that really tells you what's what's going on right so you know you say hey our our uh uh, our inventory goes up. Well, that's because we're growing significantly. Um, well, then that's not the right metric. We should be measuring that as a ratio of, of uh, against days of sales. Um, so, so the design of the metric, when people start to discount it, I usually start to ask, you know, what would, <laughs> how do we incorporate those things that, that are excuses and legitimate excuses into the metric itself without turning it into a, convoluted thing that we, nobody can ever recognize again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there is a, there is a balance between simplicity and, uh, yeah. and truthfulness or yeah. usefulness. And, and there's probably also a balance. I'm sure as you work with people, um, leading indicators, lagging indicators, or you could call them, you know, process metrics or end result metrics and, and finding that, that right balance. Right. Yeah. Cause obviously you need to know, you know, where those end metrics are, are taking you. Um, but ultimately, uh, they might cause you to react, but they're not going to tell you how to react. Uh, that's where leading indicators should, should be more informative. Yeah, because you know, if a company, you know, uh, whether it's a big corporation, small business, nonprofit hospital, is measuring just their, their, their monthly or quarterly bottom line number, knowing that profitability is higher and saying, well, okay, is that noise or is that a signal? Um, either way, that doesn't necessarily point you in the right direction of the different levers you would need to pull or the, the different improvements you would need to make to either increase revenue or reduce cost. And you can sort of you know, continue breaking down the components of bottom line profit into things that um, can be measured more frequently at, at value stream or business unit or department levels, right? Absolutely. So it kind of leads into another question though, just related to that financial look on on performance and what we measure there. How much of the reaction mentality is dependent, although it may not be driven by short-term thinking from Wall Street or activist investors knowing it doesn't matter what the trend is, this quarter people are either gonna react or they're not, and that's you know fundamentally outside my control. So how how does that influence the behaviors that you're seeking through the book? Yeah, I mean that's a good question. I mean because a lot of the financial news is really focused on two data point comparisons, whether it's profitability, stock price, the market, economic indicators. You know, housing starts are down two point one percent. That probably doesn't mean the housing market is in a total free fall. I mean, it's, it's a data point. And, you know, process behavior charts put data into better context. So we could see, is that worth freaking out about? Like in some settings, a 2.1% change could be a very meaningful number. 
And in some settings, 2.1% is just the typical fluctuation. It's down 2.1%, but you know, last quarter it was up 2.4%. Like, well, it just maybe fluctuates like that. So, you know, I think it, you know, I think whether it's a financial metric or, um, you know, a safety metric, a quality metric, any other things that we should be measuring in our balanced scorecard, um, you know, I think they're, they're, we're, we're, we'll do better, you know, to, to understand when a change in the metric is meaningful or not. I, I'd be curious. I mean, you, you, you're, you're making me think and wonder, is there an investment strategy around being, you know, sort of a contrarian to other people's overreactions to a single data point? If a company's profits are down last quarter and lots of people are selling off and we look at a chart and say, you know, it tends to fluctuate and it's probably going to bounce back next quarter. Is that a buying opportunity? I'm, I'm by no means a stock picker or an investor, but um, I don't, maybe there's opportunity. I do know those, those, uh, those strategies exist and there's, that's why we have plenty of uh, statisticians involved in, uh, in, in funds uh, today. But I mean, if we believe in the efficient market theory, knowledge of, variation would be baked into the collective wisdom of the market, but maybe not. It, it, it would, we would hope it eventually would. Um, so speaking of another sort of uh, meta factor, um, you mentioned in the book, big data, um, which, which of, of course is just a fancy name for, we have more data today than we used to have. Right. Um, but it really is still, the idea that we've developed the tools to generate lots and lots of data. Um, we probably lack the tools to turn it into information. And the field of data science, which is really a combination of statisticians plus uh, computer scientists, um, is attempting to change that through AI and other methods. Mm -hmm. Do you see that trend changing what we're talking about? So uh, to, to, to make it a very... Uh, a provocative statement, will it kill the simplicity of the process chart hmm. because we have AI to figure these things out for us? That's a really good question. Um, one of my classmates uh, from my year at MIT, um, a friend of mine, John Miller, um, who's done a lot of lean and Six Sigma work in his career, um, the last couple of years has taken a, a big interest in, um, you know, a lot of this, you know, big data analytics uh, maybe I should have him on the podcast sometime, um, you know, to explore some of those topics. But I, you know, I think there might be a temptation with big data to, um, you know, cap, um, you know, capture more metrics more frequently. And even if, let's say, you know, I see this in hospitals, even if they're not calling it big data or analytics, um, you know, there, there's, I think, often a good reason in lean management to, you know, measure certain metrics on a daily basis in, in sort of real time instead of uh, monthly indicators that are always a month or two behind. And, you know, generally I, I would love to have daily, uh, daily metric instead of a monthly metric, but I, you know, I would use the methods of process behavior charts to not overreact to those daily fluctuations, which are gonna tend to be bigger than a monthly fluctuation. Um, so, I mean, I think a lot of these, I, I mean, it seems like these rules are pretty timeless. There's probably other opportunities, you know, through number crunching to look for, you know, correlations and, um, 
you know, to really take deep dives that maybe help us understand our systems a little bit better. Um, I, I mean, I, you know, I don't know enough about some of those other topics to say, I don't, I don't think it makes, um, these rules for detecting signals in a metric. I don't think it makes it obsolete, but maybe there's a way of, um, you know, sort of answering questions around, um, the causes of variation in a system that might only come from a really deep analytical number crunching of, you know, looking for, you know, correlations and customer behavior and demographics and things that might be useful that these charts wouldn't tell you. Because like, I think you said this earlier and I'll, I'll you know, amplify the idea, you know, a process behavior chart will tell you something has changed. It won't tell you what changed. So maybe some of these analytic analytical methods, in addition to, I still don't think uh, it's, you know, the idea of going to the Gemba, looking at the process, talking to the people doing the work, that's not obsolete. And, you know, I certainly don't want anyone to have an impression that um, I think metrics are a replacement for all of that. I think the reality is we have metrics. Let's use metrics in a way that better prioritizes our visits to the Gemba, our A3s, our root cause analysis, um, and, and use it in conjunction with all of these other pretty timeless uh, lean methods. That's a pretty good summary of how it all comes together, right? Because it's it's not a standalone. It's it's uh, one tool leads to a next, and one question leads to another question, and all this has to fit together in uh, the universe in which we operate. Yeah. Um, so, kind of wrapping things up, uh, you've been you've been uh, teaching this for a while in your talks, uh, at, in your own. Uh, own seminars, uh, you've written about it, you've certainly written about the other big influence, Deming, for, for a long, long time. You now have a, a book that brings uh, these ideas uh, closer to the management practice. Mm -hmm. So what are your hopes about the influence? Where does it go from here? Uh, what, what, what do you hope to change because of, of this book? I mean, you know, my... Um, when I say in my, well, I was about to say in my wildest dreams, and these dreams might not sound that ambitious, but what I would love to see, like if this book has uh, an impact in, let's say, the hospital space. And, you know, as you said, being this is the first book I've written that's not geared only for a healthcare audience. You know, there are, there are examples in the book here from healthcare and startups and other types of um, businesses. But when when I go and, and visit a hospital and I'm out in the Gemba and I see a team's huddle board, I, 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 I don't want to see, you know, kind of the spreadsheet grid of numbers posted anymore. I'd love to see that if, if a department has six metrics instead of a spreadsheet with six line items and some red green color coding of, you know, are we better than our target or not? I'd rather see six charts. And even if it's the most basic of Excel line charts, or some people would call it a run chart, just, just plot, there, there's this group in England that's spreading these ideas in the National Health Service. Um, they use a hashtag, plot the dots. Like when in doubt, create a visual, a graph instead of a list of numbers. The human brain can see trends or the lack of trends much more clearly if we just create a simple chart. Better yet, I think would be 
you know, overlaying uh, the three lines of the average and the, the lower limit and the upper limit. Um, I, I would hope people would start doing that. I hope people would start saying, you know, now, now that we don't react to every change and every metric equally, we're better prioritizing our improvement effort and we're actually seeing bigger gains in our performance metrics. Um, those are some of the things I, I, I would, would hope to see. And, you know, as, as, as people have gone back and tried to experiment with these methods, that's, that's what I hear reports of. You know, we, instead of giving equal reaction to all six metrics, we focus on the one or the two that tell us something, tell us that it's really worth investigating and focusing on. I, I think that, that hopefully reduces, if you will, some management waste and allows everyone to be more effective in the work they're doing and running and improving their business. I think that's a pretty observable uh, set of behaviors we can, can probably all be on the lookout for. Um, so I uh, want to kind of wrap things up. Um, this is your stand-in host, Jamie Flinchball, uh, replacing our, your regular host, Mark Rabin, who happens to be our guest today, Mark Rabin. Uh, and uh, thanks for talking and sharing the ideas of, of your book. Um, I hope, I'm sure many of your readers and listeners will be picking it up as they usually do, certainly with the last books you've written. And I hope it has exactly the influence that you intended to have. Well, I, I hope so. And um, I appreciate you doing uh, the guest hosting here. Um, I, I alluded earlier, we had done this at least once before. I did take a second to look up here uh, we did do it once. It was episode 50. We were celebrating the 50th podcast. We're now up over 300. <laughs> that's that's quite, it's quite a run then. But the, uh, the date on that first pod uh, of that episode being released was August 7th, 2008. So just barely over 10 years ago, if you can believe it. No wonder I couldn't remember exactly. That's a uh, lot's happened since then, but yeah. I'm glad to do it again. Maybe we'll have to do this uh, before another 10 years goes by. Yeah. And, and I want to thank you. You know, my search here also pulled up um, some guest posts that, um, that you used to do on my blog. I would encourage the listeners, you know, go check out Jamie's website, jflinch.com, his blog, his books. Um, I think you, what you, uh, you, you reduced, you went from jamieflinchbaugh.com to jflinch.com. Were those other letters waste? Yeah, the other letters. Well, I, you know, it's you can name your you can name you name your company after yourself, but uh, if you use your full name, it's uh, maybe a little too much, especially with mine. So yeah, <laughs> easier easier to type and easier to spell. So jflinch.com. And uh, for anyone who wants to learn more about my book and and see how you can order it. Um, you can go to www.measuresofsuccessbook.com. You can find it in the Amazon Kindle store. You can find it in the Apple iBooks store. That's about to be renamed just Apple Books. So they're eliminating a letter. And um, it, it will be a paperback book later this year. So um, I hope people will check that out. I appreciate the indulgence of uh, being interviewed <laughs> and, and promoting my own book here. But um, Jamie, thank you for doing that. Thank you for asking uh, really good questions. Thank you and happy reading, everyone. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. 
For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.